You're listening to Simply Stogies, a podcast dedicated to the cigar enthusiast. Light up a stogie, sit back, relax, while James brings you along on his cigar journey. Simply Stogies will review cigars, discuss topics that cigar aficionados find important, sit down with guests from across the industry, and we'll probably learn a few things along the way. Now, here's your host of Simply Stogies, James. Welcome to Simply Stogies. I am your host, James. This week, we have with us a special guest. It is Mo Malley from Patina Cigars. Mo, welcome to the program. James, pleasure to be here. Thank you, sir. Uh, I am. Uh, it's my pleasure. Like I love Patina cigars. We're going to talk about that, uh, and Thanks, I. Man. We really want to find out more about you and and your cigar mm-hmm. journey and, and all of mm-hmm. that. Uh, so I think this is going to be a fun conversation because all fair yours. There's an Iowa connection here because yes. I'm in Iowa and you've you've done some sales in Iowa. Um, yes. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to getting into that. But before I do, mm-hmm. uh, there's a couple of things that uh, I want to mention. The first is. If you want to try Patina cigars and you haven't yet, go to OxfordCigarCompany.com. Use coupon code SIMPLYSTOGIES. You'll get 15% off. That's right, 15% off anything in your cart. Doesn't matter what it is. Make sure it's Patina, though. Uh, OxfordCigarCompany.com. Coupon code SIMPLYSTOGIES. Tell Lucas I sent you. He'll take care of you. Uh, great dude in the industry. OxfordCigarCompany.com. Coupon code SIMPLYSTOGIES. Uh, so today is the, the 9th of May. And it is hot as balls outside already uh, here in the Midwest. And there's a lot of stuff going on. And tonight, if you missed it, I'll, I'll kind of give you uh, uh, some cliff notes. I'll, I'll be going live on Instagram tonight at about 8 o'clock Central Time. Uh, you could probably go to the Instagram, Simply Stogies Podcast, and, and see it. It'll, it'll be up there. But YouTube has decided that they don't want uh, cigar content, tobacco content, vape content, cigarette content on their platform. So they are, they've already demonetized us. They've demonetized everybody. Like when we first started uh, our YouTube channel a couple of years ago, we never made money on it. And it was more about just getting our content out there and getting out our, our views and opinions on cigars and coffee and bourbon and, you know, everything else. Unfortunately, um, and we're not the only ones. There's a lot in the industry that have been deplatformed by YouTube, uh, which started on Saturday night or Saturday morning, really. And they have flagged a lot of our content on there and they are quote unquote reviewing it. And we are in the process of moving over uh, to a new service where hopefully uh, they will be a little less. They won't virtue signal nearly as much as YouTube does. We'll get away from Google, but I, I, I'm just asking that you all kind of hang with us. Uh, you can go to simplystogies.com and check out some of the videos that are still up on YouTube, but eventually we're moving to Rumble. Uh, we'll start doing more with Instagram Live. However, I mean, if you're familiar with uh, Evil Empire Cigar Society, they can no longer do IG Lives, and Instagram has not told them why. It's just you can't do IG live. So there's a lot of things. There's a lot of moving parts right now uh, to this, but uh, I'll, I'll have a full statement uh, tonight and you can go check that out. Uh, once this podcast comes out on the 15th, you can check that out on our Instagram at Simply Stogies Podcast. Okay, that's it. That's it. That's all the stuff that I needed to do uh, and get out of the road. Mo, welcome to the program. Thank you. Is your, is your announcement that you're running for office like Eddie Terrazona? 
No. Are you gonna, uh, <laughs> no. dude, that was that. Listen, when I saw that, and I, you know, I know Eddie, I, I know Eddie because uh, his cigars were distributed by Sutliff Tobacco, who distributes Patina. So we shared a booth at a couple of the shows. Um, I never, unfortunately, had the chance. You know, when you're at the show, you just you're constantly like moving and talking to people. So I never really had the chance yeah. to talk to him much per se. But uh, I never knew that he had political aspirations. I would have, if, if I knew that, I would have absolutely loved to sit and talk to him about him. Uh, but that was a pretty interesting and, and you know, cool announcement, I guess. Yeah, like I, we've always tried here at Simply Stogies to stay away from politics right. because it's so divisive right. and everyone has their Thank own you. opinions. And they're all well, you're welcome to your opinion. I don't care mm-hmm. what it is, right? Like, and that's mm-hmm. why I really like cigar uh, and cigar culture because it it allows us to come together over something that we all agree on. We all like cigars. We all are brothers and sisters of the leaf um, right. or, or people of the leaf. And it doesn't matter. Like you can sit down with somebody on the opposite side of the political aisle from you mm-hmm. and have a great conversation for the most part. For the most part, yeah, yeah, it's usually pretty yeah. pretty tame, and everyone's relaxed yeah. because that's what a cigar is supposed to be. And I, you even say it on your on, on your website. It's a it's a two hour vacation. Yeah, for and sure, man. Nobody wants to talk politics when they're on vacation. Oh, dude, when when people try to pigeonhole me into oh. a conversation about politics, I, I just it's really uncomfortable. Um, not not because. I don't, it's not that it's not the disagreement that makes you uncomfortable. It's the highly sensitized nature of the extremes that we find ourselves dealing with in this country. Right. And you just never know like how, what you might say where that has like no ill intention. Uh, and it might just rub somebody the wrong way. Uh, as I've gotten older, I found, the less that I say, the better off I am. Yeah. And, uh, I pretty much have been living like that for over a decade now. So, (laughs) um, I think I'm going to continue with that. Uh, now obviously these, uh, opportunities to sit down with guys such as yourself, uh, is much different. Uh, but by and large, man, uh, you always got to be careful about, about what you say. You never know how anyone is going to react to your opinion when it comes to some 100%. of these issues. Yeah. And it's like, so I, I choose not to have them. There was a time, I think everybody went through this when, mm-hmm. when Facebook first came out and Twitter first came out and it was like, oh, I have a platform and oh, I can yeah. let my opinion be known about anything and everything. And that just oh, gets th- tiring, doesn't it? Oh, dude. the most amazing thing is how quickly people pivot their expertise one minute they're legal experts the next geopolitical experts next financial experts health experts uh it's just fascinating (laughs) watching uh just how well-rounded people are i never i never knew there were so many people that had expertise in so many areas yeah nor did i but everybody does seem to be an expert (laughs) on just about everything and i say all the time i am not a cigar expert at all my journey started four years ago when i was just like I need a mini vacation from, from my daughter, mm-hmm. right, <laughs> right. you know, like mm-hmm. I love her to death, but there are just times where uh, dad can only take so much crying. 
So sure. that, that's kind of where mine started. And I'm only four years into this. I, my palate mm-hmm. is still shit. Like I, I say that all the time, read my uh, reviews at your own peril. Uh, but uh, it, it, it's, it's like everything else you, you grow with it. And, and it's something that I enjoy and it's, it's a little disheartening to see those of us in the quote unquote media space have to go through this, but guys cool. like yourself in the manufacturing space, you have a lot of, legal hoops you have to jump through things you Mm -hmm. can't do things you can do what Mm -hmm. how you how you promote your product and there's a lot of folks like myself who just smoke cigars and don't have any idea about that like we know okay we're not going to see billboards anymore we're not going to see magazine uh advertisements unless it's in a cigar specific magazine Mm -hmm. how does that when you first jumped into this, and we'll we'll backtrack here in just a second to get to how mm-hmm. you got into it. But when you first got into this, was it a lot to learn? And was it, did you ever just go, why have I decided to do this? Well, first, I don't care if I'm doing this for 50 years. You're always going to learn something. Uh, so you don't ever know everything. That's part of it. Uh, but dude, even, even in the five short years that Patina has been out, the amount of change that has happened uh, is incredible. Um, and just trying to pick your spots on on where you're going to focus. Uh, but you're right. Like there's a lot of things like coming from like a corporate side, going into this, you have these big business ideas and stuff like that, but you quickly realize that there's just a lot of stuff you can't do. So like when people try to give me advice on how to do X, Y, Z, I'm like, okay, I literally can't do that. <laughs> like I, it's not that I don't want to, it's not that, what I, but I literally cannot. So you have to get creative with the way you do things. But um, no, man, I mean, I'm always learning. Uh, I had a pretty decent idea what I was getting myself into just because I had been podcasting, did a cigar for my podcast. Uh, the Sultans of Smoke. Yes. Um, and we can get into that. Um, but uh, so I had an idea, right? Um, and then I worked retail. So I had an idea of the retailer. And so to say, like, I was completely blindsided by stuff, no, not necessarily. But uh, certainly the one thing I definitely discounted was the importance of uh, image. Um, and the psychological or what I would call intangible aspects of your brand uh, that is above and beyond how good your cigars are. Because right. how, how good your cigar is, is just a portion of a much bigger like equation for success. And that's been really the biggest learning lesson. And, and it's interesting that you bring that up because I've had conversations with those who I would consider boutique cigar manufacturers, like such as yourself, uh, mm-hmm. smaller manufacturers, and they're always almost surprised. It's like, yeah, everyone says this cigar is good. Why is it not selling as well as it? Like, if it's that good, why why am I having such an issue getting it into the B and M's? How why am I having such right. an issue growing? growing the mm-hmm. company and how have you dealt mm-hmm. with that? Like, let's, let, I guess we could just start there with patina. How have you grown yeah. the brand? Because it's constantly growing. And you, I saw you were just out in Utah uh, a couple months ago. Is that right? Uh, At, Arizona, Arizona. 
So yeah. like you're growing the brand. What is yes. that? What does that look like for you when you go into a and I think everyone's always curious. How do you get them to try yes. it and be like, oh yeah, no, this is good. We'll carry it. So I, I went the old school route of trying to build a brand. You and, and the first way was build a strong infrastructure. So as you know, um, I started at Mombacho. That was the, the factory of the original patina uh, that came out between 15, uh, 2017 to 2019. Um, I changed factories in twenty at the end of 2019. I think the first batch from Noxa came out at the end of 2019, I want to say. Um, and so we're at Noxa now in SLE. Um, I changed distributors, so now I'm distributed by Sutliff Tobacco, which any pipe smokers would hear would know about and uh, stuff like that. So that's a, obviously a very big outfit. And then, then uh, building my broker infrastructure, so uh, <laughs> trying to get the right brokers in the different territories and stuff like that. So a lot of a lot of the brand introduction is done by brokers, right? So by the time I go on the road with them, the majority of the people that we're meeting have already either tried it or know about the brand, right? Some of them already carry it. But getting being a small brand and getting into a shop is never easy. It takes... There's a lot of different factors for that too. Right. Uh, if that makes sense, it's not just, okay, you're a small brand and no one's ever heard of it. That's fair, fine. But it's also you're dealing with what are the big boys doing? What kind of deals are they running? This is, you know, man, you brought up something interesting. There's not enough people that talk about the business side no. of cigars. You know, we, we talk a lot about cigars. We talk a lot about tobaccos. We talk a lot about whatever. But the consumer, you know, and, and people will ask, like, oh, man, why aren't you in more stores? Why aren't you this? And there's a whole other aspect that like your average consumer is not going to be exposed to, which is obviously not their fault. They're not in the business. Right. But there's a lot that goes into um, getting into places, right? Or, or whatever. And not every retailer is right for you as a brand. So you have to be cognizant of that as well. Um, and then when you're talking pre-COVID versus post-COVID, there's kind of a little bit of a difference between that too. Pre-COVID, guys were a lot more willing to try new stuff. Uh, we got into COVID, and for small brands, it was really, really tough. Probably the first six months because retailers were concentrating on things that moved quickly, big-name stuff, because there was so much curbside. There was so much uh, ordering by phone that they needed to have the familiar names in stock, right? Sure. But then obviously things changed and, and uh, it really opened up the end of 2020 to 2021. But, it opened uh, up for everybody. Right. So, uh, you know, and now you're preparing yourself for the inevitable slowdown, right? Not everything goes up. So you just got to position yourself the best you can and uh, continue to make a good product uh, that's consistent and that people want to smoke, right? Right. So... You're not the. I don't know if that answered your question. It did. But. It, yeah, no, it did. But you you brought something up. You said that not every retailer is a good fit for you, and you're not the first manufacturer mm -hmm. to say that. So mm -hmm. when you're trying to get, and well, we'll talk about brokers here in a, in, in a minute. But when you're trying to mm -hmm. get into a new spot, 
How do you how do you figure out what that they're the right fit for patina cigars? Attitude, their selection, uh, what their best sellers are, the nature of their their customer base. Um, is the person easy to work with? Right, like sure. I I always tell people like I want patina, working with patina or whatever should be a joy like. When, when I say we're going to do something, we do it. Right. When we ship cigars, it's going to be, you know, most of the time it's going to be the right shipment. You're going to get billed properly. You're going to get, um, I try to build value above and beyond just the cigars through that type of stuff. Right. right a business so, relationship. Yes. Because, uh, the thought process and doesn't always work this way, but the thought process is if you're good to work with people want to work with you. Right. Right. Those are just some of the things that go into it. But, you know, location of the shop, that's big, too. Have you had issues with brokers? Uh, And I ask this because I'm going to paint with a very, very broad brush here. Mm -hmm. Most of the brokers that I have met and not reps, there's a difference between a a, a rep for a company and a broker. And I'll take just a second to explain that. Uh, as far as my understanding goes, is a broker will will sell like a rep does, but for several different cigar manufacturers. That's, that's fair. What, that's what a bro- broker does. He's not right. held down to just one. A rep will represent one specific mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. So these brokers, is again, painting with a broad brush, will typically take the path of least resistance and sell. I think that's fair sell like the easier things to sell and not really push newer brands that they're they're carrying newer newer manufacturers uh maybe Mm -hmm. you know they they just don't think they'll make that decision that this this isn't uh, the right fit for a certain company if you run into any of that without you know pointing out specific people first there are there's always a difference between order takers and order makers right yes so if you want to get into repping or brokering and all you want to do is take orders, uh, you're going to hit a wall in terms of growth, right? The guys that really seem to make it are the ones that are able to take brands that are maybe not as known or are smaller and build them uh, within their own portfolio because that's what separates their making a living and living. Right. Like, yep. It's brands like Patino that could put a person over the top. Like, you'll have your bigger brands in a portfolio that'll probably pay your bills, but you start developing a brand like Patina, now you're living a little bit. Right? Exactly. You've got that disposable so, income that you didn't have right, before. Right. Yeah. So, because it's expensive and, it, and it's a brutal job, man. I want to make that very clear. It is a brutal living. It's a lot People of no's, see- isn't it? It's a lot of no's, but not only that, man, it's a lot of time away from your family. You're eating like crap. Um, You are on the road all the time. You're not teleporting anywhere. You drive there. So you're talking hours and hours on the road, hotels. Uh, So with all of that said, you always want to be a priority in someone's portfolio. But as a brand, you have to be realistic. And I pride myself on being realistic about where I am and where I am in brokers' portfolios. And I understand that. And really, it comes down to, man, until you're making an impact on someone's livelihood, 
your priority in the portfolio is going to be a reflection of how you impact their livelihood. That's just human nature. It's not that people purposely want to necessarily not try to sell a brand, but if I know I have my mortgage coming up, I know that XYZ brand is more likely to make my my mortgage payment for me this month than than another brand, right? Sure. So I try to be realistic. I try to be understanding. I try to be empathetic in that regard. So I don't have issues uh, where I am getting into it with brokers. And luckily, man, even the brokers that I've parted ways with that I've used in the past, we've always parted ways on on good terms and they've understood where I was coming from and I understood what they were coming from and not you're not always going to have a good fit with somebody for whatever reason. Um, but all of that said, there's no excuse that there shouldn't be some sort of growth in a right. broker's portfolio, that they should actively be trying uh, because you're relying on them, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I am relying on somebody to represent my brand in a positive way that people want to do business with us. All I ask for is an honest effort. Uh, when I don't see that, that's when I start to have a problem. But ultimately, no broker is ever going to build your brand for you. And, yeah. if, and if you're a brand and you think that that's going to happen, you are sorely mistaken. It's just not. It, and it's it's interesting because you say you're empathetic to, you know, the things that the broker is going through. But at the same time, as a business owner, you have metrics that you want to hit and you have growth that you want to hit every year. Of course. And so it's, a, it's a very fine line that you kind of have to walk, isn't it? Yeah, man. I mean, I've been loyal to a fault where it's hurt me. Absolutely. And, and other people that know me will tell you that. But you know what, man, I, I'd rather live with that than than be a prick or uh, be dishonest or whatever. Like, again, the better you are to work with, the more honest you are, the more real at some point. And it's going to take longer and that's OK. But and, and you don't cheapen your brand, by the way. That's a big thing, too. Don't right. cheapen your brand for, for quick growth. If you don't do all of these things, eventually people are going to want to work with you and they're going to, because there's a value in that. Right. Right. Beyond just the cigars themselves. So that's what I'm aiming to build. Yeah. All right. So that's what you're aiming to build. Now we're going to, we're going to backtrack just a little bit because you didn't, you didn't start in the cigar industry like you. No. So let's, let's talk about how long have you been smoking cigars, Mo? Oh man, since on and off since 2001. Okay. So, yeah. uh, almost 11 years on and off. Uh, that's no, 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 21 years or 21. Oh, Jesus Christ. Did yeah. I say 11? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I am. Yeah. Yeah. I'm old. 20. No, I know. I, I, I still think it's 2009. 2010. <laughs> yeah, I don't right. even know what year. I, exactly. Mm -hmm. I'm like, is it not the nineties anymore? I liked the nineties. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. So 21 years you've been smoking on and off. That's quite oh, a long yeah. time. What were you doing yeah. be before you, you got into the cigar business? So education wise, I'm a CPA, right? Uh, and I investigated corporate fraud for four and a half years right out of school. Jeez. Oh, yeah, man. Um, that had to have been fun on some level, right? Uh, uh it was interesting. I, 
So my last my last year and change uh, was spent closing down banks across the country with the FDIC, oh, and we were we were contracted to the government. Uh, to, you know, if you remember the global financial crisis at that time, I do. Uh, which we might be on the cusp of again, uh, but yep, who knows? Right. Um, but that's here nor there. Uh, this is a cigar podcast. <laughs> you know, we we could talk about that, but you know, uh, so yeah, I lived through that. Um, on that end, and that was really tough to watch because a lot of people really lost their livelihoods and lost their jobs, and yeah, um, it was really weird. But uh, and then uh, I went into you know the, I worked for the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, uh, and wow. then I worked for a grain company uh, trading uh, corn, soybeans, wheat, barges. Uh, so I worked in the ag industry for about four and a half years too. And that's where the Iowa connection comes into because you were telling yes. me you you sold some corn uh, yes. to, to uh, uh, somewhere in in Clinton, Iowa, which is like I don't know Clinton, Iowa. Yeah, man, we yeah. Uh, we used to sell because you know it's a huge uh, ADM processor, uh, and we used to sell corn into there when that was uh, when that was the market. You know when they were bidding high. Yeah, no, my wife works in uh, logistics for a, an agricultural mm-hmm. company, and so she works with ADM all the time with mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. rail and stuff like that. So yeah, that's uh, yeah, a we were a shuttle loader. Yeah, yeah, so we used to load trains or uh, sell into uh, into processors or you know feed. Yeah, no, so. that's that's cool. That's cool because I kind of I understand exactly. Mm-hmm. I, if you live in the Midwest, you kind of have to understand agriculture just a little bit. Like you just have to have a basic understanding of kind yeah. of how things work. It's just how you grew up. Yeah, for sure, man. It's like even even growing up in Chicago, you know that stuff because the Board of Trade and then, dude, you you go 30 minutes, 40 minutes outside of Chicago, you're running into farmland. So, right? um, yeah, so it's not <laughs> like it's like this distant thing, right? Yeah, everyone always thinks that, oh, it's a big city. You don't see farmland. That's uh, not really how this no. works. Like, it's all surrounded no. by farmland. Yes. Yeah, it's really weird. And not weird, but it's just, you know, it's it's different, man. I mean, dude, we still have, um, there's a major corn processor called Ingredient, 25 minutes from my house. And you see trucks going down one of the, you know, hopper bottoms from, you know, like farms that are like, right. I don't know, yep. 30 minutes from here, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's wild, man. It, it, we went up there mm-hmm. for, she had to go visit the corporate office. Uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, we were, you know, you're, you're in Chicago proper and like literally yes. right down, like they're loading trains and all kinds of stuff. And like, it's, Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm like, all right. Well, yeah. There's a side of sure, Chicago. Man. I never thought I'd see. Oh yeah. Chicago was, a massive agricultural hub. Obviously it's grown a lot, so it's a little different now, but man, yeah, for yeah. sure. All right. So, yeah. so you, you've smoked for 21 years, you've done all this stuff in agriculture and you were like, you did some cool stuff with, with banks. I mean, probably not the greatest because of the timing, yeah. but right. It was terrible. Right. So yeah. what, what prompted you to, to say, you know what? I need to change. And I think I'm going to start blending cigars and make my own cigar company. Like what, uh, what was that? So, yeah. So I moved to Tulsa when I originally started working in the grain industry and became friends with a buddy of mine named Drew. Um, so Drew and I wanted to keep in touch when I moved back to Illinois. And so we started reviewing cigars and it was called the Sultans of Smoke. Now, this was 2014-ish. 
so this was before a lot of like people had really started doing that right right like we were we were one of the first people to like review black label cigars and like southern draw and I mean, because Drew happened to run into James Brown in Tulsa and happened to run into Robert Holt in Tulsa. <laughs> right. and he, they gave them cigars and said, oh, try this or, or whatever. Nobody had ever heard of these guys really, right, at the time. Um, so it was kind of, you know, and then uh, like Famous Smoke Shop, we did some stuff with them that we were reviewing cigars. So we had built it up like whatever. Um, nothing crazy, but hasn't grown since then. But uh, obviously we started, <laughs> we, we stopped uh we mostly do it just to stay in touch now. And that's why we do our podcast. But once we launched the podcast, we decided to do a cigar for the podcast. And again, this was way before a lot of people were doing this stuff. Right. right? I mean, right. you're talking, this was like 2015. Which for those who don't know, like 2015. So here's the thing. I've been podcasting for over mm -hmm. a decade. So probably since about 2010, 2011, I, I've been podcasting. And even before that, I think we really started in 2008 where it was the Wild West of podcasting. Mm -hmm. And you would just broadcast over the Internet before it was called a podcast. And it was like mm -hmm. live radio. And then, you know, iTunes came along and now that's Apple Podcasts and, and right. all these things. So I, I get it. Like this was yeah. you guys were in 2014, 2015, like cutting edge starting the podcast like right when the movement really started to take off and everybody went oh i can buy a microphone and just talk about whatever all right i'll do yes. that <laughs> yes exactly and so it was interesting because of course you had bigger people that were doing cigar related podcasts but they already had a built-in audience because they right. either had a shop or they had whatever but we literally were nobody right so um anyway. i know the feeling yeah so yeah try, trust me i still yeah i know the feeling too so the, you know trust me patina what who la, la latina uh la patina is that like la is that like la polina right um yeah so trust me i get it uh so then james brown builds this new factory called oveja negra and we had done some reviews for Black Label. So my buddy Drew just said, hey, man, would you like to make a cigar for this podcast that we're doing? And he was like, yeah. So we did a cigar with James Brown um, wow. in 2015, early 2016, I think, is when we actually released it. Um, and, you know, it didn't do anything, the cigar, right? But then <laughs> if you remember... James Brown and Black Label started to really take off right around that time. Right. So as he got bigger and more popular, all of a sudden everybody wanted to try. Our cigars kind of became like, like a a holy grail, if you will, within like the Black Label trading community, right? Yep. Because first of all, they were some of the first cigars made at um, Oveja Negra, uh, and there wasn't a lot of them. So uh, yeah, we ended up getting rid of them, like many years later um <laughs> ended so they up were getting well rid made. of them is that like is that yeah. a, a code for we sold them <laughs> like <laughs> yes <laughs> okay yes finally after like three years um and we only made like three thousand cigars but he was as as black label grew in popularity people wanted those cigars again and we were like yeah we actually still have some so <laughs> uh, we sold them man yeah it was pretty crazy 
Um, but I joked around with, with, I saw him at PCA, I think it was like, or IPCPR at the time, 2018 or something like that. I was like, Hey man, you're welcome. Cause uh, <laughs> I, it was the Sultans of Smoke that really got you going. Perfect. Uh, That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. He looked at me like I was a fucking alien. So, um, <laughs> he looked know. at me. Uh, it's funny you yeah. say that. Cause he looked at me like I was an alien when I went up to yeah. him, you know, at the trade show, I'm like, Hey, can you come on camera and just talk about you know the brand and the stuff you got coming out and he's like who are you <laughs> right yeah. Uh, yeah yeah exactly i but, trust me yeah. i ask myself that all the time <laughs> you know super nice guy uh it was hilarious because you know it's like yeah like sultans of silk had anything to do with you know the, the success of black label in fact they probably lost money on making those things <laughs> right so yeah uh but no it was just fun to joke with him about it but man it's incredible to see how much that brand has grown since my buddy and I had, you know, had had those cigars made. So. Right. So you have those yeah. cigars made mm-hmm. and that was, was, was it the yeah. process of having them made that made you go, I think I want to do this or, or what was it that really the light bulb uh, went off in your head and you're like, this is it. Combination. I think it was the feeling that I could do it. Uh, it fascinated me. It, it involved a lot of creativity and working with different materials uh, to come up with like, you know, I mean, like you want to come up with like a signature profile kind of, uh, I feel like that's what a lot of the successful brands have. Um, but by and large too, man, it was always important to me to try to work with like tangible assets versus financial ones. And I think a lot of that sensitivity to financial assets came from my background. Yeah. Um, and seeing how easy it was to get wiped out um, when you don't have something tangible, right? And so being able to make something, have a tangible good that you're providing uh, was was kind of important. And sure. I thought this, you know, so it was a lot of things that came together kind of at one time. Okay, so all this stuff comes together and you decide to to do this. Like, what was the process? Can you, like, a lot of guys kind of, yeah. I think, think like you where they're like, oh, I could do this. I could absolutely do that. I could roll a cigar. I, I could blend a cigar. And I, I don't think people really understand all that goes into it because they don't understand, like, unless they've been to a, mm-hmm. uh, a factory and they understand how the rollers kind of, yes. you know, the blenders think and like what's actually just there for filler, what's there mm-hmm. for combustion, what's there for flavor. Mm-hmm. They don't know what goes into it. So like, what was the learning curve like for you when you started Patina? So that's a really good question. First, I want to backtrack just one second. When I talk about financial assets being wiped out, just take a look what the market has done in 2022 and how many people have been adversely affected and it's still got a ways to go. Yeah, it does. Um, so, uh, let's, okay. So, but anyway, and I love that stuff. So I, I apologize, you, but no, uh, you're uh, fine. Cause I want to so, talk about that because I, I, we're in yeah. the second, but we'll, we'll talk about that, but I really want to find out yeah. first the, the learning. So, when I say I thought I could do it, it's not that I thought that I, you know, I'm just going to make a cigar and it's going to sell like crazy and all of that. I knew I could do it because I was prepared to make the sacrifices to my personal life that would allow me the chance to be successful. That is something that most people do not even 
think of when they, yes. when they're like, I'm going to start a business or I'm going to do this. I'm there yes. so much. Like, what did you have to give up? What were the sacrifices? Uh, well, money, sure. Uh, <laughs> sure. uh, <laughs> consistent income, um, having stuff, uh, <laughs> having free time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I wasn't married. So I thought that it was a decent time. I mean, if I was married, I probably never would have done it. I'll be honest. Yeah. But I was single. Uh, I knew that I don't live a lavish lifestyle. I've never been that way. So I knew I could handle the financial hardship um, that comes with it. Because, and I've always said this, I think a lot of our industry kind of does a little bit of a disservice with the uh, image that it portrays to the outer world because there's you know the, yes the big the big players make a lot of money but guys like you know patina and some other you know guys like we're not killing it man <laughs> you know <laughs> like i don't know what people think uh let's just be honest so um yeah so knowing that i was willing to be okay with that is what made me think that i could do it Wow. Not the other stuff that most people think that they right. Oh, yeah, I, oh, I could blend. I could blend a cigar. I could make it have yeah. this profile. What? What? What no. was that learning curve like when you really got to start to get oh. your hands dirty, so to speak? Yeah, man, still learning. I mean, you know, it, it was. I don't know how to explain it, but it's just it's a lot of trial and error, yeah. and then you have to understand what stuff you gravitate towards um, yourself, uh, and. What I've what I've learned, especially since coming over to Noxa, was concentrating on tobaccos that are consistently ready available readily available to me. And I've talked about this a lot over the past like year, two years, especially when people were having uh, inventory issues. And and you want to try to play on the strengths of your particular factory. It's going to be different for everybody because right. every factory has its own strengths, right? So I'm looking at it like, okay, what tobaccos can I get consistently that are of high quality, the highest quality on a consistent basis and not have to really worry about whatever? Because I'll get questions like, well, why don't you do like a Cameroon or why don't you do uh, XYZ? Or I was like, do you guys understand how hard that stuff is to get? Right. Like in a special on a consistent basis. And then can you even make a cigar that's cost effective that people would actually buy? Like, you know, another thing is all, oh man, you got to make a Lancero for the 2% of people that smoke a Lancero. Have you ever worked retail? You know that that stuff just sits on your shelf outside of a few shops. A few shops do great with Lancero, but by and large, no. Isn't that funny? You know? So many cigar aficionados say, well, mm -hmm. why don't you make the Lancero, make a Lancero, make a Lancero. And I, like there are even guys in the media that are like normalized Lanceros or whatever. And I'm like, Jesus, guy, do you want these guys to go out of business? Like, yeah, number no, one, they're not the most they're not the easiest thing to roll. Right? They're just not. It, it's a specialized roller that, that typically has to do the Lanceros. Right. And then so you, you've got that They're They're hard to roll to begin with. And then nobody right. buys. Everyone's like, make a Lancero. And then nobody buys them. Like you said, for, they just sit there. For and, what? 
<laughs> for what to, to collect dust <laughs> right like, i got i got the rest of patina to do that <laughs> that's not that's objectively not true I, like, no i know no i'm kidding i'm kidding like here's the thing man like here I, yeah. I, and i i, I kind of yeah. want to get it is this why it took you until 2020 to come out with the maduro yeah bro are you kidding me why am i gonna listen man you're at a point where all you're going to do with coming out with a new line is cannibalize the people that are already buying your stuff. Yep. You ha- you have to come out with stuff when the market is asking you for it. Like, hey, Mo, all right, it's been three years. It's about time. Okay? <laughs> you got it. Let's go. And also, you know what, man? I was doing a lot of events. I was doing, oh, you don't have a Maduro. You don't have a Maduro. So it, it was time. But also, you have to remember... The Maduro got delayed because I switched factories. I'd been working on it at Mombacho, and then when I switched factories, I'd start over. Jesus. You know, by and large. Well, so, yeah, because it's, uh, different, it's different tobacco, right? So you're trying right. to and, recreate. Yeah, and there were also there was also a lot of dynamics within tobacco availability that changed from when I started working on it to when I, we finished it. Right. Yep. So that was part of it too. Let me ask you this, because you just mm-hmm. said a lot of things changed in the availability of the tobacco. And this is where I kind of want to get into a little bit of the financial stuff with you, because so we're in the second boom, right? That's what everybody's calling it. We're in the second cigar boom and things are going mm-hmm. great and more imports than than ever yeah. last year, this, that and the other. And that's all mm-hmm. fine and dandy because everyone kind of thought at the beginning of the pandemic, you kind of alluded to it where people were like, the, especially the B&Ms were like, uh, we don't know how this is going to go. We're going to hold yeah. off and we're just going to carry the big guys. And then yeah. when they saw everybody was like, we're staying at home and we kind of right. want to smoke cigars. They're like, Oh shit. Like now the floodgates are open. Well, we're coming out of right. that. And economically we're coming out of that where we were like, uh, yeah. you know, you look at it in 2020 and 2021 and you're like, how, why was the economy so good? And now you're looking at it going, Oh yeah. Okay. It really wasn't. We're just catching up now. So uh, yeah, well, wow, dude, we can get into that if you want. Well, I mean, well, you have to, yeah. you have to do, you have to blend to what you have available, and with all of these new manufacturers coming in, and it's the second cigar mm-hmm. boom, so you're seeing all these smaller ones pop no, up. Yeah, like, yeah. How is that affecting no, li- your availability of the tobacco that you use? <laughs> Luckily for me, it doesn't, um, but it does in a lot of other aspects, and. You know, the limited edition craze that has happened the last couple of years uh, has been um, really great. Look, when that stuff happens, it doesn't affect Romeo and Julia. It doesn't affect Monte Cristo. It affects guys like me. Okay. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing that stuff. People are in this to make money, right? Whether they, no matter how much, people are here to make a living. So. I can't fault them for that. People are going to do what the consumer rewards. The consumer was rewarding uh, novel, not novelty, uh, rare, rarity, right? Limited edition, um, stuff like that. So why wouldn't people do that? Now, I chose not to. Okay, I chose not to partake. um, But a lot of people intelligently did, and they were very successful at it. I do believe that that limited edition nature is on its last legs. I think it's getting close to because a lot of retailers are getting stuck with it right now. Yep. So I'm not sure how much 
how much legs it has left. Plus, you have a consumer that is dealing with, at this point, 8% inflation, probably going to get a little bit worse. Um, Granted, our industry typically is somewhat resistant to economic downturns, but not completely. Um, And uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how things play out. But I think that and when I say that I didn't get into the limited edition stuff, not because I didn't think we could or I didn't want to or whatever, but I'm still trying to build my core out. I'm not at that point to start making, you know, all of this stuff. Um, and that's not that there's anything wrong with it again, but it just wasn't right for me at this time. Sure. But um, when you take a look at some of these manufacturers, and I'm not going to mention names because I like mm-hmm. most of these manufacturers, but a lot of them have, have built a reputation for doing uh, just a shit ton of LEs. And that's what they're known for is their limited edition stuff and their rare stuff and the stuff they're only going to, you know, these limited uh, production runs when this, when when it's on its last leg and it's kind of, and I feel the same way that it's going to be on its way out. Will these manufacturers survive like that? Oh yeah. They, you know, they will, they will, they'll just, you know, they'll read, you know, they'll figure it out. It's, they were, I mean, they were smart, man. They took advantage of what the customer was rewarding, right? Like, seriously, if you look at it from that perspective, the customer is saying, I want this stuff. Oh, for here sure. Here it is. I, and that know? was the question that I always had is who's at fault here? Is it the manufacturer for doing it or is it the consumer for saying, I want it? I mean, companies are always going to do, listen, uh, people say, oh yeah, what's it like to be your own boss and to have whatever. And I'm not my own boss. The consumer is my boss. Right. Well, right? unless so like it comes to of, Lanceros. Yes, because that's just <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> right. I have nothing against Lanceros. I just can't make a financial case for them right now. Sure. Now, if we were to do one as like a limited edition for a store, like a store specific, because there are some stores that I do business with that, that really do well with Lanceros, I would do something like that, but not as a like a line, right? Right. This is my, my, my question to that, because when mm-hmm. I first found out about patina, it was literally, I, I got very lucky and I've said this on the podcast before that I was kind of steered away from some of the, you know, I never, I've never smoked a Macanudo ever. Right. I've smoked one Gurkha because somebody dared me to mm-hmm. <laughs> like Romeo, uh, Julieta. I've never smoked one. Um, mm-hmm. the only Monte Cristo, from uh, Altitis, I believe is who has it, it that I've smoked is the white series. I, I tend to stay away from that stuff and I'm, I gravitate more to the boutique things and the, the small batch sure. things. Sure. When, when you started, you were primarily, I mean, at least for me, you were known as like, this is what a Connecticut should taste like. This, right. this is, this is it. And it's still <laughs> to this day, I, I've grown into the Maduro, obviously smoking for a few <laughs> years now. I enjoy them. Uh, and they have yeah. their they have their their place in my humidor, but I still right. in the morning with coffee, like if, yeah. if there's like three or four where I'm like I want this all the time, and Patine is one of them. Was that because of the availability, or is that just the way you kind of that's where your palate was? If you look at brands that really really do well, and outside of Padron, um, who didn't introduce a Connecticut until much later, <laughs> right? Um, but too, too much criticism, a, by the way. Like that, yeah, it, it, yeah, and, and 
Yeah, because their their customer base is a little different. They they enjoy that profile of of the whatever. So, right. but listen, they needed it because that upper premium that that you're going to be in with Davidoff and all of that. They it was good that they came out with a, a milder offering, right? But if you, regardless of what people perceive and again what you see online for cigars and what you see on a brick and mortar level and in reality are much different you have to have a solid mild cigar yeah like and when i say solid i mean really good um i think that that's extremely important so but i knew that when we were making that cigar that i couldn't smoke just a regular connecticut like that had no flavor or whatever so we just you know, man, we just added a little kick to it. And and that was, I was lucky because I was getting in the industry right at the time when Connecticut started to change. And so we ended up being on the forefront of that trend, right? Yep. Now that is a trend that ended up staying because if you look at it, the majority of people now that like Connecticut's with a little bit more to them, but we have to be very, very careful that we don't chase every trend. Not every trend stays. There are some that do. That, that I believe, is one of them that has. But, um, and I always say that, like, patina can never be uncool because it was never cool to begin with. <laughs> right? Like, right. you know what I mean? You're just like, okay, yeah, that's good. And it's good no matter when you know what i mean like oh it's not good for this this and this it's just good, it is good. <laughs> and that's kind of, and that's kind of what you want you know like i never want to be the most popular because you know it, it's like uh, there's only one way to go when you're the most popular yes exactly so, so and honestly it's the journey isn't it it's the it's the struggle and and it's the it's the finding the growth and finding what works and finding what yeah. doesn't and and honestly like I said, there's four or five Connecticut shade, you know, cigars mm-hmm. that I, but P- Patina is, is in that top five, probably in the top three, possibly in the top two, <laughs> like it, where I would just Thank be like you. this one, like I want yeah. this one. And it's, it's, it's different. And it's funny when you talk to older guys, right? Cause it's different than what it used to be. Cause mm-hmm. the, the guys who have been in the cigar, you know, the cigar culture, for 20 mm-hmm. plus years ago, oh, you know, Connecticut, it just tastes like cardboard. There's nothing to it. There's no. Yeah. And it's like, and no. you understand why they feel that way. I yeah. absolutely do. Because that's you, what they've known. Yeah. Because yeah. you can go smoke. And, and I just recently did this uh, for a cigars and coffee where I smoked the Monte Cristo white series, something that I really mm-hmm. enjoyed when I first started. Yeah. And I'm like, this is objectively not good. <laughs> like, there's mm-hmm. just, there's nothing here. It is like smoking cardboard. Like it got a little bit better in the final third. And I'm just like, you know, you just, you, you can't go back yeah. again. But when you pick up a, a patina, it's yeah. still, it's not overly, it's, it doesn't give you that big kick that you're going to get from a Maduro, obviously, but it has enough right. interesting flavors. It keeps you, mm-hmm. it keeps you focused on what you're smoking for the entire cigar. And it's beautiful. And yeah. I, I love it. Not, and I'm not just saying that because you're, you're here. If you no, look at my Instagram. It. Like you can yeah, see no, like when I, I smoke, it. I'm smoking a fucking patina. Like this is the best. Yeah. Like, go like go check these guys out. It's really yeah, I appreciate it. Really good. 
Yeah, I've never, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I've never smoked Imani White, so I, I can't speak to Don't. as how, you know, as to how that smokes. Um, and, and it's nothing against, I mean, that I just, I just haven't. Um, I really wasn't in Connecticut until we did one. Um, and yeah, dude, it had to be a Connecticut that I would smoke myself. And I smoke it all the time, especially the Churchill. So oh, when I, yes. What's your Vitola of choice? It depends. So like the Maduro blend, for example, which I'm smoking, I'm smoking a Maduro right now. I'm smoking the oxidation, which is the six by 56. The Maduro blend is based on this Vitola. So when it comes to the Maduro, this is the Vitola that I like to smoke the most of. Um, Habano, typically the six by 52, which I call bronze. Uh, that's the Toro. In Connecticut, it's mostly Churchill, uh, the 7x49, which is called yes. Artifact. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that those are like the ones. But I will tell you, and this is a little-known fact, uh, because most people, whatever, just shy away from the 6x56. But for whatever reason, the Patina blends in that 6x56 format just are magical. And that's across all three lines. Wow. Uh, now the Sumatra uh, that's coming out hopefully next month doesn't have a six by fifty six. I only did four sizes for that, um, which will be the four fifty, six forty six, six fifty two, and five fifty two. Because I just don't see a lot of Sumatra smokers going to a six by fifty six. If I'm wrong, we'll come out with it, but I just don't see it. <laughs> I am a sucker for a Sumatra wrapper. Yeah, dude, this this cigar is. I mean, I'm not just saying that. Like, look at I, I, sh- I tell you, like it. I mean, that cigar is pretty special. It, I'm very excited about it. Um, it's a Sumatra Oscuro, so it's a little bit of a, you know, deeper, oh. richer. Uh, you know, it's got some kick to it, man. I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, so, uh, but hey, you know, the the goal with every cigar that we come out with is that it's. It, it's approachable for anybody and everybody. Like there are people that smoke the Patina Maduro that only smoke usually like Connecticut, but for whatever, they could still handle a Patina Maduro. Right. Right. And there are guys that smoke really strong stuff and a Patina Maduro still hits them the way a Maduro should. So it's about flavor, you know, flavor over anything is, is kind of how I look at yeah, it. Flavor but, over intensity. Right. It, yeah, man, for sure. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. need something to beat me about the head and face with pepper and spice for it to be good. I, mm-hmm. I, I like that nuance and I like that complexity and I like mm-hmm. trying to pick yeah. out, you know, what the blender was going for and what the profile is and what they, what, you know, yeah. what they wanted you to really experience. And, and for me, that's yeah. uh, every cigar is a journey. Yeah, man, you want to, you want people to be able to pick up another cigar when they're done with it, yeah. right? And. Um, and I always want people to be able to taste the cigars. So that's huge uh, to me. Um, but yeah, and then we, we're going to do our first limited edition, which will just celebrate the five years of Patina. Nice. Uh, that got a little bit delayed. So it probably won't be out till next year. But um, yeah, that was supposed to be this year. It oh, doesn't wow. look like it's going to happen. So, okay. So there you go. Like there, there's the news yeah. there, uh, you know, he's got the Sumatra coming out hopefully next month and then yeah. the LE next year. And uh, I will be looking forward to both. And I hope, uh, you know, our listeners will too. Let me ask you, uh, this, I know, uh, you know, we're coming up on almost an hour where you and I have chatted and there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff we haven't covered and I want to cover. So okay, I, I yeah. want to have you back on and when yeah. you're going to be at the trade show, I'll be at the trade show. 
Yeah. Uh, hopefully we can hook up and, and, and have a good time. But let me ask you this. Where do you see the industry going in the next five years? Because a lot of things, I, I feel like the boom is going to end. It can't, nothing lasts mm-hmm. forever and the boom's going to end. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and just like most cigar smokers, they don't smoke for 25 years continuously. It's like you said, mm-hmm. 21 years on and off. So it ebbs and flows and we're seeing a lot of changes right now with how they can be marketed. We're seeing the FDA and what they're trying to push through and we're seeing what YouTube's doing. Where do you see the industry in, in, in five years, just short term, like especially with all of the uh, economic woe that's probably coming soon. Yeah, man, your guess is as good as mine. I think, okay. So when I said that I've smoked on and off for 21 years, you got to remember that was me starting, at 18 not 40 right so like when people typically start smoking cigars later they usually stick with it if that makes sense yeah so like your question you know the question is one of the biggest things that we saw was not necessarily that there were a ton of new cigar smokers over the past two years but that people that smoke cigars were smoking more often because they were working from home they were whatever so it was like bigger tickets let's just say right sure uh, versus a whole new bunch of people starting to smoke cigars. Um, there seems to be an age range where people that get into cigars and stay in, stay with cigars, and that's usually like your late 20s to early 30s, um, when people seem to start getting, you know, especially if they work like in the corporate world and they're doing golf outings or, or whatever, right. yep. and, and they start getting into it a little bit. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the future really depends on what the FDA decides to do. I think that's a, just a really unknown factor right now. So to try to guess what's going to happen without really knowing that is pretty tough because that'll change a lot of things. Well, let me ask you this. If the FDA has this mm-hmm. much sway over the industry, which obviously they do and how they can uh, try to regulate it, you know, how, yeah, how do you, yeah. how do you prepare as somebody who is financially savvy? How do you oh, prepare I, for something that you don't know what's, how they're going to react? Well, I try, I mean, we tried, right? Like in 2020, I was working on getting all my stuff for the predicate. Right. And I spent thousands of dollars on an attorney, on attorney fees and all of that stuff. And then it got held up. And then, so we're going to see, you know, what happens next, but, you know, we don't know the extent to which they might regulate it. They, we don't know any of that. And quite frankly, if we're being honest, depending on what they do, guys like me are out. Wow. I mean, seriously, you got to be honest with yourself. So, uh, yeah, that's like really that's, definitely like, yeah. So, yeah, man. So sure. you're li- like, it's literally, I'm just going to do what I'm doing until I can't do what I'm doing anymore. Uh, just try to be the best at it. And if you get, look at selling cigars and building, it'll alleviate everything else. Yeah. So that's what you focus on. You can't be thinking about that other stuff. Wow. You'll cripple yourself. Well, yeah. So you just got to keep pushing forward. And the bigger I get between now and whenever they decide to regulate will determine how well I could weather whatever they come out with. Yeah. Right. So I think that's kind of how I look at it. So where do you see Patina in five years short term? Like what are, are you coming out with more wrappers or more core blends? I know you've got the one LE next year. Are you going to maybe yeah. 
Look at a little zero. What's five years from gonna, the data? Going to continue just building out the way I've been doing it, man. I'm not. I'm not gonna like any cigar that come out with has to be an addition, not a cannibalization, right? Yep. So, like, if I came out with like five cigars over the next year, all I'm doing is taking away from what I am already selling. I mean, it'll just shift. Right. I don't really see that it would. The point is to build the brand to mean something. And when it means something to people, it's beyond just the cigar. Uh, it's taking pride when you have that band in your hand. It means something. It means it says something because no matter how much people try not to admit it, we are all guilty of. Uh, we like to smoke cigars that make us feel a certain way. Right. You know, and that's what you want to get to because it's more than just the cigars. You want to have great cigars that mean something because a lot of people have great cigars and until they mean something to the consumers that are smoking them, it's, it's going to be really hard to grow. Like your brand has to represent something to people. Absolutely. What do you want your brand to represent to people? If like someone's listening to this, that has never tried a patina cigar, which first shame on you. Uh, mm-hmm. But if there's somebody listening that, that hasn't had a, the opportunity to have one in their hand, what would you say to them? That you could be yourself and be, still be successful and you don't always have to sell yourself out. Awesome. That's what I want. I want. I want people to just think like I'm smoking a small brand that not a lot of people know. And the fact that I'm smoking this small brand, that's such a great cigar. I know. Like if that makes sense, it does. like, it's like listening to that band before they become popular. You know they're an awesome band. Yep. Yeah, that's I. That's the feeling, right? When you find mm-hmm. something that is a hidden gem, like you're just like, this is it. This is this is what it should be. Absolutely, and I think Take pride I think, in that. Yeah. yeah, and I think Patina is that. Where can people find you, Mo, on Assaultons of SWAT? That is, uh, you can find that on uh, all your podcast, uh, you know, catchers. Uh, but how often do you guys come out? Babe Ruth was the Sultan of Swat. What, right. Or the Sultan of Smoke. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, yeah. Words are hard, Mo. Words are hard. I know. Yeah, yeah. English is a fifth language. It uh, is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sultans, yeah, I do that. Uh, my Instagram is just Patina Cigars. I don't do Facebook. Uh, yeah, I do Twitter, but very little. Uh, Twitter. Uh, so mostly Instagram. Facebook. Yeah, Twitter's devil. tough for cigars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, don't get me started on social media. I if, hate uh, social media if, so much. There, there is a direct correlation between your social media usage amount and problems in your life. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. So, yeah, I stay off the the uh, the Facebook and stuff like that because it just uh, wasn't healthy. No. So, no, Sultans of Smoke comes out how often? Well, we try to do it every week, but with travel schedules and three people, uh, you know, if we can get two episodes, you know, probably two episodes, three episodes a month, usually. So almost every week. And it's a great podcast. And I kind of I want to end with this. This is a little known fact. Sultans of, of Smoke was one of the first cigar podcasts that I listened to. Mm. And <laughs> yeah. I I enjoyed it. I enjoy the camaraderie between you guys. I enjoy the conversations and I never thought to myself with your podcast, I could do it better. I only went, I think I can sound better. 
That was yeah. the only thing. But it's like you said, it's literally at this point, you guys are just doing it to catch up. Yes, we all we do it purely to stay in touch. We do not do it to try to like actually grow the podcast. Yeah, I think there's something great about that because there's it's not pretentious and it's not no. like a lot of us uh, in the media have our heads so mm-hmm. far up our own ass that we taste Himalayan sea salt or Mayan, <laughs> Mayan chocolate with cigars. And I'm not pointing fingers yeah. directly at Charlie Minato, but I'm also not saying that I'm not pointing fingers directly at Charlie. Right. But a lot, like a lot of us are just so into into ourselves and our opinion is, is, is gospel. And that's just not the way it is with you guys. You guys talk about the culture. You guys talk about what's going on in mm-hmm. your lives. It's such a great, refreshing podcast yeah. where if you're just like, I'm so tired of hearing guys with their heads up their ass, like this is what you should listen to. Sultans of smoke. Go check them out. Mo Malley, Patina Cigars, my man. Thank you so much. It's uh, been awesome you. to talk with you. We'll, we'll catch up with you at the, at the trade show. We'll get you back on you soon uh, so we could talk more. Everybody, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Join me next time where I'm not quite sure what I'll be talking about, but I promise it'll be Simply Stogies. Stay smoky, friends. Thank you for listening to Simply Stogies. Visit simplystogies.com for the latest articles and reviews. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for the latest in video content. And please rate and review Simply Stogies on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You can follow James on his cigar journey on Instagram at Simply Stogies Podcast, all one word, and on Twitter at the Twitter handle at Simply Stogies. If you have a question or suggestion for James or would like to be on the show, please send an email to info at simplystogies.com.